I know, obviously, the Steelers have their eyes on Malik Willis, and we'll see what happens in the draft. But if Cleveland ends up cutting him to go to Pittsburgh, where he'll have a chance to recreate the image around him under Mike Tomlin and the way that defense plays, considering I'm not sure if Mitchell Trubisky is the answer or not, I would love to see happen. Let's go! The 4 o'clock football frenzy on Cofield and Company. Company. 4 o'clock hour is here. You hear Jason Williams talking about his wish list for Baker Mayfield. We'll get to that in just a couple of minutes. In about uh, 15, we're going to continue on our path to the draft as we count down from the back end of the first round to the top. Cardinals are up today. Let's get to the frenzy. Willie, we come out of the gates. I saw a, a nice feature on Bubba Bolden in the local paper. We're talking about uh, Bolden potentially being a third rounder. Why don't you give the audience, uh, maybe not familiar with Bubba, his background and how cool this is going to be if he is drafted uh, in the top three rounds. Yeah, Bubba Bolden was a star during the undefeated run, the three national championships at Bishop Gorman um, when Tate Martell was there, um, Brevin Jordan, uh, a lot of those uh, bigger names, Haskell Garrett, and uh, went to the All-American Bowl. And uh, Sam Gordon wrote that feature from the Review Journal. It was really good because I know that game that he was talking about where they, they, they he really centralized uh, and painted the picture of this game against um, St. Thomas Queen. said what was great about that game and watching it unfold was I felt, and I told Tate Martell this in a one-on-one interview with the four of them, each one individually on the same day, using an office at Gorman, that I felt Bubba Bolden emerged as the best overall athlete of the core. Maybe not football player, maybe not safety, whatever it was, but just um, he really just – he he that season he exuded this athleticism – that was so dominating that whenever he wanted to make a play, he was going to make it. You know, put me in, coach. I will do this, and he would go out and do it. Um, I was impressed with Bob Bolden that entire season. His tenure at Gorman um, always thought that he was going to be great. Of course, he went to – he had a um, – had committed and decommitted and recommitted. He went. To, ended up at USC. Um, an unfortunate incident that was caught on social media um, ended, ended up – leaving him off the team. He ended up getting somewhat recruited down to Miami. He joins um, Brevin Jordan down there. Um, and I think more than his college career, it was just what people had saw collectively and what his potential, because he, he could have been such a bigger and better college football player, minus injuries, minus the problems at USC. And I think that people knew and respected what he brought to the field, his work ethic. So um, now projected as a third-round draft pick, um, you know, he went to the combine. He's, he's worked out. There's no doubt about um, the way that this kid eats, breathes, sleeps football, the way that he takes care of his body, the way that he, um, you know, just he, his training on and off the field, that he, is, he has been bred to play professional sports. So uh, it'll be interesting. You know, he was a quarterback. He was actually a quarterback back in the day um, in youth football growing up here. And uh, a lot of people thought he might be throwing the ball around, but a kid named Tate Martell came around. He had Dorian Thompson-Robinson in the mix. So uh, Bubba's just an all-around, well, well-rounded athlete. 
Um, very close with Brevin Jordan. Would be kind of cool to see these guys now in the league representing the 702. Willie sends over Panthers trade for Browns. Baker Mayfield is imminent. This is from uh, Mary Kay Cabot in Cleveland. Oh, boy. Do you like this? She says Panthers have the inside track. Also, if you saw over the weekend, Robbie Anderson, Panthers receiver, is like, I don't want any part of Baker Mayfield. She wrote, Panthers receiver Robbie Anderson might want to start wrapping his brain around catching passes from Mayfield this fall because his club has the inside track to land the uh, number one pick from 2018. A league source tells Cleveland.com. Yeah. Uh, looks like they do have the inside track. And you know what was fun Would about Would you want him? <clears throat> Truthfully... I would not I don't I wouldn't not want him. If I'm in need of a quarterback, yes. I would not mind having yeah. Baker Mayfield. I think I that, would take a flyer on him for nothing. Yeah, I, I if cost is minimal, minimal then I'm in. Absolutely. Um, at the point that they're at in signing uh, that the league is at, the teams that are in need at right now, um, and you can get him for a discount, I'm absolutely all in on Baker Mayfield. Um, because I think that this, especially now, because if there's a, if there's ever a kid with the, with the competitive drive that's going to have a chip on his shoulder, that has shown flashes, um, I think it's him. You know, um, I'm not sold that everything was about him in certain situations, off the field distractions. Um, you know, I mean, he's got some some issues to work out, I'm sure, and he, some some me issues, but I think that he's he's somebody who could be coached up. And taught properly. Um, I was I was somewhat. I don't know why. I just always had this in the back of my head. Ever since you know it, it, it appeared that once we knew Cleveland really wasn't interested in him and they were moving on, that was that. I just don't know if he would have accepted the backup role. There's only one coach in the league you ever really do. But I don't know why I kept thinking or seeing. Somehow we're going to hear that he ends up with the Patriots and and, and you know and, and Belichick mentoring this kid, but. Uh, if he goes to the, to the Panthers, you know, uh, obviously he'll be. No, he'll get a chance. Duel, he'll have some duels with Brady. Yeah, he'll get a chance to play. Uh, I'm not sure what Matt Rule's place is right now in that organization. That's a whole weird thing. The guy signed a seven year deal and maybe a lame duck going into this year, so he's going to be max motivated to win. So. I guess it could be a decent landing spot. Like I said, if it costs anything though, then I'm out. And you got to get the message from the kid early on that. He's going to freaking dial it down with the social media. Stop making comments all the time. Don't worry about what people are saying. Just get back to work. Get yourself on the right track. March 14th, 9.30 at night. Stephon Gilmore to the Raiders might just happen before the day ends. It's from a uh, blogger. Uh, Vinny from the paper backed it up, saying Raiders in the thick of things with Stephon Gilmore. So it was close. It was close. March 18th, a Pete Bradshaw. Stephon Gilmore to Raider Nation almost finalized. All right. March 20th, another guy, uh, Pagnotti. Stephon Gilmore and the Raiders agree on a two-year, $32 million deal. Anonymous source tells me. Deal will be official by tomorrow. Wait, what? And the biggie? The clincher? Um, well, you know, here's the problem with all these scoops. Mm. There's always an out. Because people say, maybe, looks like. Hearing. Hearing. Although the, the last one I read 
says pretty definitively that they agreed on a two-year, $32 million deal. Yep. Deal will um, be official by tomorrow. And, and others, you know, in, in around the same time said, uh, I think this is winding down. I expect it to come to a head as early as this afternoon or late Wednesday afternoon. Uh, Raiders in it, credit them. Um, but it doesn't mention a player, so but it was around that time. But this is kind of what some people are doing in terms of reporting things. And I don't know. I guess we'll get the official story at some point, how close they were, why it didn't come together. But um, late last week, Willie, Stephon Gilmore, a member of the Colts, two-year, $23 million deal, 14 mil guaranteed. And he's going to play for Gus Bradley, yes. my guy. Yes, your guy. My, my guy, Gus Bradley. So, um, yeah, what are you going to do? I mean, all those scoops, all those breaking stories, it didn't come to fruition, and and and, uh, and now the Colts are the benefit, uh, benefactor of, of Gilmore and the best off-season coaching acquisition in Gus Bradley. So uh, I, I, I want to know. Brad, by the way, Bradley over Ritz Basaccia, special teams coach with the Packers? Oh yeah. Okay. The best offseason, uh, you know, assistant coach. Sure. Okay. Oh, and besides, that doesn't take anything away from Basaccia. But if you had, if I have my choice, okay. If you have, if you're the head coach, you're the GM. You say, okay, I have to pick up these two, one of these two. You have to choose one. Who are you taking? You taking Bradley? Or you're taking Basaccia? Yeah, Bradley. Okay. I mean, for the Packers, the special teams pickup was. I'm not going to say as important as a coordinator, but it was pretty damn important because they're special teams. You can point to the very end, cost him. Well, and I think the Basaccio will be a great. I think he'll actually be a great fit up in Green Bay. Yes, you know, I think that his his calming way, the way that, not because of what he did when he took over the Raiders, but what so many of the players said of what he was, like that first week when it first came down, and what they said he's always been in the background. That sort of calming personality that everybody could go to, no matter what unit you played on. Imagine that when you got leaders on the offense and the defense saying they could go to the special teams coach. Um, so, with the situation in Green Bay being a little volatile, if you will, and uh, no Devonte, Aaron coming back, it'll be uh, you know I think Basacci will fit in there, and I think the players. Will appreciate his personality. Up next, we continue our daily path to the draft. Number twenty-three pick is up with the Arizona Cardinals. We'll get uh, David Brandt in, who covers the Cardinals, and also get into what the hell is going on with Kyler Murray and a long-term contract. Join the conversation on Twitter at ESPN Las Vegas. The Oakland Raiders have traded its pick to the Arizona Cardinals. With the 10th pick in the 2018 NFL Draft, the Arizona Cardinals select Josh Rosen, quarterback, UCLA. And we've got history. First time in the common draft there are four quarterbacks going the top 10. It's time for Cofield and Company's path to the draft. Yeah, that wasn't a good one, but the Cardinals made up for it the next year by turning the page quickly on Josh Rosen, bringing in Kyler Murray, which was supposed to set them up for, what, you know, 12, 15 years of good quarterbacking, but who knows what's going on today with Kyler Murray and his contract. David Brandt knows a little bit about it. Uh, he covers the Cardinals for the AP in Phoenix. He's up with Willie Ramirez and Steve Cofield here in Vegas. How are you, sir? Doing well. How are you? We're good. Uh, is there anything breaking on social media with Kyler Murray and future contracts and any of that stuff? 
I haven't checked in the last 10 minutes or so, but I don't think anybody scrubbed their Instagram or anything like that uh, that I know of. So, um, no no breaking news, but certainly that situation became much more interesting in the past month or so. The situ- Yeah, and, and the entire storyline regarding Kyler David is, uh, is interesting. But I, I read a story today um, where NFL Network analyst James Jones, he's predicting – the Cardinals will trade Kyler Murray before the end. Is that possible? Are we going to see the Cardinals deal away their quarterback? I mean, anything is possible in the NFL or with, with anything else, but I, I doubt it. I, I mean, it, you know, I do think that despite all of this, I, I do think that, you know, there's there's too much positive, I think, for the Cardinals and, and Kyler Murray right now. I mean, I, I know there's a disagreement about the long-term contract. I think they'll work it out. I, I just think that you know, there's again, there's too much good. They, they've been, you know, both teams have been, you know, improving over the last couple of years. Um, they've won 11 games. I know it didn't go well down the stretch, and they lost in the playoffs. But I, I just think both sides have too much to lose to cut right now on on the relationship. AJ Green says it didn't make sense to go someplace else after spending nine seasons in Cincinnati. Now he'll spend a second one with Arizona. Um, how key of a component is he for this offense, regardless of who will be under center? Well, I think he's important, and I think, honestly, he was kind of a disappointment last year, especially late in the year. You remember DeAndre Hopkins. DeAndre Hopkins got hurt, and he, uh, you know, the offense just never looked the same. They had A.J. Green, and they had Zach Ertz and Tyler Murray, and it just it, it never looked like it was working out very well. So, um, you know, I think A.J. Green is, is somebody that can help. But I, at this point, I, I think in the draft or somewhere else, they're still looking for a, a number two receiver. So back to Murray. What, what, to the best of your knowledge, what do you think Kyler Murray wants in terms of an extended deal? How big a deal are we talking about here? Well, I think he's wanting in the, in the realm of, you know, the Josh Allen deal is the one that I've seen referenced the most, and it makes the most sense. Um, obviously the difference is that Josh Allen has won a couple playoff games, but I, I think that's the sort of deal that he's looking for. I mean, you know, it, it sounds weird when you say this, but somewhere in the neighborhood of a quarter billion dollars. Right. Um, and, and I think he feels he's that type of quarterback like Josh Allen is for the Buffalo Bills. Um, and he wants that kind of deal. So, um, I don't know about exact dollar figures, but I think that's a good one to look at as far as, a comparable that that about the same age, kind of bringing a, a franchise that has struggled in recent years up. I, I think that's a good one to look at. Do you feel that he's that type of quarterback? And more importantly, do you feel within your organization that they're going to be willing to give him, you know, forty million dollars a year over six or seven years? That's a great question. I mean, unless you've got a better idea at this point, and when I say you, I mean Cardinals management. Yeah. Um, I, I think Kyler's your guy. I think Kyler. Is not a perfect quarterback, and there's some injury issues, you know, especially he'll roll his ankle and then he doesn't look quite the same when he can't run. But I think he's proven, you know, he's been selected to a couple Pro Bowls. He's obviously an above-average quarterback, I think, in the NFL, whether you think he's top five or top ten, I think is obviously open for debate. But, you know, when you have a guy that you know for the next ten years is going to be an above-average quarterback, he's you know, good off the field. You don't have to worry about that other than scrubbing social media occasionally. Um, but, you know, I, I think that, yes, he's not perfect, but I, I'm not sure 
what the Cardinals are waiting for exactly. I mean, I, I think Kyler Murray is is that kind of quarterback. Who would be the trade partners if they just said, you know, you want forty million plus? We can't do it. Who do they reach out to? Are you, what, what are we looking at here? Lions, Steelers, Saints. Is there someone else obvious that I'm missing? No, I think you've hit the high points with that, especially the Steelers make a lot of sense. The, the Saints, you know, anybody who's looking for, I mean, there's always a market. Again, that's why I think the Cardinals are going to figure it out and pay them eventually. There's just such a market for a, a guy that's going to be an above-average quarterback in the for the next years, and, and if everything goes well, he might even be an MVP candidate. So um, I, I think you're hitting the high points, the Lions, the Steelers, the Saints. Nobody else really obvious jumps out at me. Um, obviously, you know, I, I don't know if this year makes as much sense because there's not as many quarterbacks projected to go super high in the draft, so I don't know if there's that kind of comparable that you can bring in, you know, maybe get some draft picks. So, um, but, but, yeah, those are the teams. Are the Cardinals by any chance looking at some of the top quarterbacks as a backup in this draft? Not as a backup quarterback, but as a backup plan to Kyler if this thing does blow up. Well, that's a again, that's a great question. You look at somebody like a, a Matt Corral from Ole Miss or somebody like that. Would they be interested in doing that? That would obviously send an incredibly interesting message yes. to Tyler Murray yeah, yes. and, and the rest of the franchise. I can't really see them doing that. You know, if you're going to make that sort of statement, then you've got to be prepared to move on. So um, I don't see that happening. Uh, I have not heard that they're looking at quarterbacks. But, again, like I said, anything's possible. So that would be a shocker if it's, uh, you know, Malik Willis down there or Kenny Pickett or, as you mentioned, Matt Corral. What would not be a shocker? What's the most – obvious position of need that they should be targeting at number 23? Well, I think in a perfect world, they would like an impact edge rusher. You know, obviously they lost Chandler Jones to the Las Vegas Raiders, and uh, that's a big hole to fill. He's the, he's the franchise's all-time sack leader. They've still got Marcus Golden. They've got, you know, J.J. Watt, Dennis Gardeck, you know, some other guys that are, that are good, solid players, but they really would like to add an impact player that can get to the quarterback. I think that's number one. I, I, the Cardinals are in an interesting spot in that no position is absolutely desperate at this point, but they need pieces at several spots. And I think edge is the biggest one. They could use a defensive tackle. They could use a corner. We talked about number two receiver. Um, you know, but I, I think in the perfect world, they would like an impact edge rusher. When it comes to Clef, Cliff Kingsbury and his mindset and, and his sort of his his role with this team right now, is he in a good place or is you know considering I know that he's that's actually the phrase they use he used about a month ago in an interview with his relationship with Kyle Murray that it's in a good place but where is he as far as his status is is he come into this season maybe possibly on the hot seat? Oh yeah. I think he's definitely on the hot seat. And I, I think he also, he's correct. I think his relationship with Kyler is very good. I don't think that's the problem, the dynamic in the franchise. I do think Cliff and Kyler see eye to eye on most issues and work together pretty well. But, you know, Cliff, I, I think that it, it's so weird because if you'd asked me this question, obviously, in like early November, Cliff Kingsbury might have been the most secure coach in the NFL. But I, I think, you know, that, that collapse they had at the end of the year was, was borderline historic. Like, if you look at teams that have dropped 
you know, gone from the number one overall seed in the NFL to just barely making it into the playoffs with that many weeks left. Like, there's not many teams that have fallen off that much. And I know they lost DeAndre Hopkins, but again, injuries are a part of it. And the fact that they couldn't figure out how to win a couple more games and they just, you know, the Rams are obviously very good, but they just didn't show up at all for that game. So, you know, I, I don't think that, that Kingsbury is on the hottest seat in the NFL. But, yeah, I think there's profession, there's pressure to perform, definitely to get back to the playoffs and and certainly to make some noise this time. Talking draft, talking Cardinals, David Brandt covers Arizona. What are the Raiders getting in Chandler Jones at this age? That's, a, again, a great question. I know Chandler Jones takes care of his body real well. I think for a guy in his early 30s in the NFL, you're getting a guy that – you know, is as good as possible at that age. I mean, he's he's well liked in the locker room, takes care of himself, um, super productive at times. You know, I, I think with the Cardinals, one issue would be he would have some huge games and then he'd kind of disappear for a week or two. But you know, Chandler Jones, there's not many guys in the world who can get five sacks in an NFL game. In fact, I only think it's been like two or three times. So, uh, you know, I, I I just think they're getting a very good player, and you know. Lord willing, health willing, I, I think he still has a couple really good seasons left. So there you go. You lose Jones. You're looking at Edge, possibly in the first round. At some point, do they look to add more youth at wide receiver? And with that, I also what was the what was the attitude around the organization when Christian Kirk popped up with uh, you know upwards of an eighteen nineteen million dollar a year deal? Oh man, I, I think everybody was super happy for Christian Kirk. Right, but I think that everybody was also like eighteen million a year for Christian Kirk, and I, you know, I, I don't want to put words in anybody's mouth, but I, I think probably everybody said the same thing that you did and that I did and that everybody did. That that's a lot of money for a guy that you know and he could be very productive. Had some big games for the Cardinals, a good player, but you know, obviously Jacksonville, you know, you're in a position in that franchise where you're trying to get back on the map and to do that, to entice guys, you got to overpay a little. And I think Christian got overpaid a little. And again, great guy. So good for him. And, and I hope he lives up to it, but I just, I don't see him as being a true number one receiver that that contract would say he is. So David, I got to ask you, you know, as, as uh, Las Vegas and Nevada being a neighbor to your state and, and somewhat new to the pro sports scene in terms of, especially the NFL, but in a whirlwind, the Pro Bowl, now we have the draft. We're going to have the Super Bowl in a few years. Uh, the Super Bowl has been there. was there in 15. It's going to be there next season. As you've seen it unfold in your city and, and as the city starts preparing for it, the anticipation, can you kind of give the listeners a vibe as to when the NFL brings an extravaganza to the city and sort of what it encompasses aside from the game itself? Oh, I mean, you know, I, I think in a in a city like Phoenix and a city like Las Vegas, for that matter, New Orleans, Miami, you know, these are cities that are used to handling because everybody wants to go to these places. I mean, the the weather's great ninety eight percent of the time. Remember when they had the uh, Super Bowl in Minneapolis? I don't think they'll do that again for a while. It was freezing, <laughs> yeah. but uh, you know, I I think that you know, obviously, there's a ton of buzz that comes to a town. You know, anytime your your city is in the in the limelight like that. So, you know, full disclosure, I was not in Phoenix in 2015, so I can't really compare it. Uh, but, um, you know, Phoenix is well-versed at holding events like this, just like 
you know, Las Vegas is getting to the point where they're used to having big events too. And I, I think that, you know, it'll be a great show and, and people love it when big events come to their city and there's nothing bigger than the Super Bowl. Yeah, I would say on Super Bowl landing spots, safe to say, even with $850 million in public money going towards like a $1.7 billion stadium, Buffalo ain't getting the Super Bowl. You can have a draft, Buffalo, but you're not getting the Super Bowl. <laughs> right, exactly. That's nothing against Buffalo. Great people, great city. February in Buffalo is, yeah. is for the hardy, that's for sure. On the board here, uh, a couple of plays are available for the Cardinals. Over under nine wins is the season prediction coming up. What do you think? Over or under nine wins? Ooh, over. I, I think they can win 10 or 11, okay. um, you know, especially if they get help. But, I mean, they'll need to or there's going to be an overhaul. You know, if, yeah. if this goes, you know, I, I just am really interested to see if the Cardinals don't get off to a pretty good start, like if they start, you know, two and four, two and five, you know, do they blow it up? Do they fire the coach? Where, where do they go? So um, I think this is a team built to win now, and I think they'll do what's necessary to at least make the playoffs. Well, I don't think it's going to be much over nine, but I, I do think 10 or 11 is probably the call. The NFC West has, has, has been a division that everyone said is the best for, for a few years. Now the AFC West has seemed to stolen that title, uh, but – how, how how deep will this division be, and how competitive will it be? I mean, I think it'll be good. I, I just, you know, there's a lot of kind of quarterback uncertainty right now with some of the teams. Um, you know, Seattle's obviously doing some things right now, trying to find their new direction. San Francisco kind of doing the same thing. The Rams are the Rams. They look like they're going to be pretty awesome <laughs> uh, for the short for the for the short term and possibly the long term. So. You know, I, I think that that division is very, very good, um, and it, it will remain that way. But I, I think that always when you've got quarterback questions, that's just an issue. David, we appreciate a couple minutes. Thank you so much. Absolutely, guys. Take care. There he is from the AP, covers the Cardinals, David Brandt. Cofield and company will be back in minutes right here on ESPN Las Vegas. You're live with the Fat Pack on Cofield and Company. Like the wallpaper sticks to the wall. Like the sea shark clings to the sea. Like you'll never get rid of your shadow. Frank, you'll never get rid of me. All right, just past halfway point, Cofield and Company. Willie's down at the Fortress getting you ready for the big game with the Golden Knights trying to Stay alive in the playoff hunt. They're going against the Devils tonight. Uh, fat pack, a little bit of food, a little bit of amazingness with a, a lawsuit that we just saw come down. Well, it's already been settled. Willie, did you see this one? Yeah. I've never heard of anything like this. I mean, I guess I understand why the guy won his lawsuit, but basically, dude in workplace is told by boss, hey, you know what? You want a birthday party? Guy says, no. No, it'll jack me all up. I've got anxiety issues. Don't do it. They do well, it anyway. Well, he actually, he, so they, the, this company had been known for, to do this at lunchtime for its employees. It had been, it was already, you know, known for, for this practice. And he went to them and said, do not throw me a birthday party. I do not want a birthday that party. That sounds exactly like Cofield and Company. Minus the anxiety part. We just all want our birthdays ignored except you. 
I haven't been on the show during my birthday, so that was a you know. Well, we'll 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 see what happens if we miss your birthday. I think there's going to be a holy hell to pay. Listen, Mister, I'm not making another bet and not getting paid. Person over there, what are you talking about? I'm still waiting on my bet to get paid, but no. So this guy tells them, right? This has happened in 2019, but they just got settled. Last month, yeah. he gets upset. So, so he he walks in the surprise lunchtime celebration, gets upset and leaves. He goes to his car and eats his lunch in the car. I like it. So upset. I like it. Comes in the next day, he is berated for his reaction. Guy has a second panic attack. So he had a panic attack <laughs> when they yell surprise. Not funny, but he funny. had a panic attack when he's berated. Oh no! Gets fired. Gets fired. They fire him. According to the lawsuit, a jury awarded this guy $450,000, found that he suffered an adverse employment action because of his anxiety, disability, court documents show. Hmm. We'll uh, we'll roll this one in front of Justin Watkins, our uh, legal insider. I don't know. I have a feeling this will be lost on appeal, but it's it's a good turn to start. I don't know why it'll be. Overturned, but I just feel like it will be. You think they're going to appeal it? Yes. I would. And you think they're going to win it? Yes. It's just a guess. Just a guess. Huh. I just feel like this would set precedent for a lot of problems for employers. It's opening up a Pandora's box. Uh, Speaking of... Box. It could. It could because I I may tell uh, you. Listen, I may have to tell... Sorry, I had to cut you off there. I may tell you that uh, I will... uh, that I don't want to be a part of something, and then if I am, I'll have an I'll have an attack on the show. Join the conversation on Twitter at ESPN Las Vegas. We said Harden has to show up. We're not looking at the Toronto Raptors. They better win this damn series. I, I mean, I respect oh, them. My. They can play. Van Vliet's a champion. Siakam's a champion. We get all that. But Embiid and Harden, you better not lose to them. You better not lose to them. Company's eye on sports betting with John Von Tobel. JVT is with us from Vison. John, is this Philly series going to be that easy? Stephen A. saying you better win this series. <laughs> well, I hope it's not that easy. I, I bet Toronto before the series started Woo-hoo-hoo! plus one sixty five. Um, but I will say this, Steve. So I'm always really consistent with this, and you have to be. I mean, but a lot of people like to react over one game. But I always say, and I think a lot of people say, you play a best of seven. One game does not determine it. We've mm-hmm. seen teams come back from down 0-2. We've seen lots of things in these series. So uh, it was a very lopsided game for the uh, Toronto Raptors. Not in a good spot. But there were, like, some bright sides. Like, for example, like their offensive rating was 126. That's really good. Uh, they shot over 40% from three. I think, I think it was, like, what, like, 41 or something like that. But they had a good shooting night. Uh, and they were really good in half-court offense, which is actually one of their biggest weaknesses. So you, you never want to overreact. And they're up right now, what, 11-4 to is what I've got. So... It's off to a good start for Toronto, but I would never punt on a series. And and by the way, it was a four-five matchup, so I don't know why like, Philadelphia should beat them. It's a pretty closely contested series. JVT, I know a team that you had mentioned that was carrying some supreme value early in the season, but uh, the Grizzlies betting market overvaluing the Memphis in this series against Minnesota. I think so, Willie. Like so, the thing is, so like for example, on Saturday, um, I was on Toronto. I was to Toronto. Uh, I, I bet uh, Minnesota plus seven in that game. It, and it, my thinking is, 
while I believe Memphis is going to win the series ultimately, I do think that takes over the, the course of seven games. It's a very tightly contested game, and that the market had overvalued Memphis. And, and there was a pretty good couple of examples that before what we saw over the weekend. You know, they played four games. They split a four-game set 2-2. Two, two. Um, Minnesota's got a really good positive net rating over the course of those four games. So I just felt like, you know, this is the market's not giving Minnesota the credit that it's due at this point right now that's shown the game one line. They reopened it seven again for game two, so I'm going to go back on it there. So I just think that the market, we saw this team go 22 without jaw. We saw how good they were down the stretch. They're young and exciting, but uh, there's not much difference between them and Minnesota. So I'm hoping that plays out that way, and it looks like it's going to given what happened in game one. Pelicans caught some action against the Suns. Suns sneak the cover. Um, the market's adjusted the rating. What's going on with game two? I'm, I'm just kind of surprised. So um, on uh, Sunday, I was on the air at VEASAN during the basketball show, and it was the hours leading up to that game. Um, and we saw, you know, the, I saw at, at one point the, mar- the number got as high as 11 on Phoenix. But just steadily coming into uh, before tip-off, like that number just kept coming down and coming down. And most spots, I think they closed about nine and a half or so, the Phoenix stunts. And, and we saw what happened. They opened up a big first quarter lead. They get up by, a, I think it was over, what, 20 points. Uh, and then yeah, that really shrinks down against New Orleans. And, I, and while the Pelicans were feisty and competitive, I was just really surprised that the highest power-rated team in the league in the NBA, and that would be the Phoenix Suns, all of a sudden found themselves in game one against this play-in team, you know, getting bet against. I, I was kind of surprised by it. And for New Orleans, I think it's really interesting, Willie, because I think I've mentioned you guys before the starting lineup that they have uh, with Jackson Hayes at power forward and Jonas Valanciunas at center. So that's really big. But we saw in the Clippers game on Friday night that Jackson Hayes got played off the floor, and the Suns kind of did that to them too. And then when they went small, Larry Nance Jr.'s out there, they became like a lot more electric, and they were getting up and down the floor, and that got them back in that game. So I'm really curious from that standpoint because Jackson Hayes and Jonas Valanciunas kind of got them to this point. But in like two really good playoff games, they haven't been able to use them like they have up to this point. JVT, Beeson, every day at 1 o'clock. He joins Cofield and company here. On a Monday, did you see that uh, Drake bet what 160 grand Warriors to win the West? Yeah, and I retweeted Uh-oh. it. Some, yeah, something along the lines of like, better luck next year. <laughs> Donation. <laughs> They're cooked. They're cooked. They, but I mean, when you watched them on Sunday, I mean, didn't they, or Saturday night? Um, I was asked this today. Like, didn't that kind of remind you of like those old school Warriors teams? Yeah. Like, especially you know, like that first one that got there. Uh, to the finals against uh, the Cleveland Cavaliers because they have that new death lineup out there and it's Jordan Poole and it's Steph Curry and it's Clay Thompson and it's hitting shots from the perimeter and it's switching everything. Like it just was kind of old school retro, I guess, even though that was what, like 2013, you know, it was retro Golden State from what we've seen, you know, back in the day. And I thought that was kind of cool and they look so much more electric. Now, I will say that uh, I think they have the perfect matchup to kind of break out that small lineup against and that would be Denver. Uh, we'll see how that holds up in later series. But I think for right now, they definitely look the best to me uh, that they've looked in a while. And that's, of course, coinciding with Curry coming back. So I think you got to be excited a little bit. I think Drake actually might get one. Give me a team down one nothing, where I can bet the series. Well, I mean, the, I think the obvious answer would be Brooklyn, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's the, the one at the top of the list, mainly because – so I, Steve, you know me. You know how much I like these analytics and these numbers and all this stuff. Uh, but sometimes, man, basketball is just, I got two bad dudes on my team and like, we're just going to be really good. And that's Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant. 
And you saw it in that game. You know, I tweeted it out at one point. I think it was in the third quarter where they're starting to open up that 11-point lead. But it's like they're playing extremely well. They're making Kevin Durant look mortal. They're forcing turnovers left and right. Uh, and they're containing a, you know, a good amount of the other team. They're getting offensive rebounds. And they're only up by six. And you're like, man, like this is really hard. Kyrie Irving's really good. And he's keeping us in it. And he's going to give us a late lead at one point. So I think it's obviously Brooklyn. I think Brooklyn would be the top of the list of you to bet on. What do you think of Kyrie and the finger? Oh, come on, it's. It, I, I'm. I'm going to go out on a limb and say some worse things have been said in Boston <laughs> to uh, to people. The uh, I, I always laugh as a as a guy with two kids when I hear the oh think about the kids. It's so dumb. Like who cares? I, I, who, who said it? Somebody said he's not only flipping off the fans, but he's flipping off the kids. And it's like just relax. But they say worse things. Those kids hear worse things being shouted multiple nights. You know, random Wednesday in January. Uh, then I'm sure. Then I'm sure in that moment right there. So I didn't think it was that big of a deal. And I shouldn't going back to the Warriors. I shouldn't go and bet the Nuggets plus four fifty for the series. I just their defense was so bad down the stretch, Steve. So if you go since the start of March, they were twenty first in non garbage time defensive efficiency, and, and that's not getting better in this series against Golden State. I think you know they have their shortcomings. Is Aaron Gordon good for maybe like a you know breakout game here or there where he locks up you know one of their best players potentially? But I think we've kind of seen since the beginning of the second half here that this team has its limitations on defense. And by the way, that's not just classic like, oh, Jokic can't play defense. He's actually gotten much better. It's him and the pieces around him are not very good. And their bench is so bad in terms of their defensive play and even their offensive play. I just I, I thought this was kind of going to be like a six game series, but even that was stretching it. And after after one game, I think I might be wrong. It looks more like a five. Uh, so that game's at, uh, what, 7.30 tonight. The game yeah. in the middle right now, uh, as you mentioned earlier, Toronto-Philly already playing. Toronto's up 13-12, six and a half minutes left in the first period. Utah and Dallas, again, no Luka. They're catching yeah. five. What do we do here with Utah and Dallas? So I, I, I want to bet Utah. I, I want to hope. I'm going to sit back, and I'm going to wait um, for the game to start and hope that Dallas kind of gets off to that pretty quick start that they did uh, on Saturday I just think there's so many inherent advantages for Utah without Luka Doncic out there. It's going to be hard for them to lose this series. You know, you go back to that first game, guys. I think they out-rebounded them. I'm going to get the number for you exactly, but I think it was 51 to like 38, something ridiculous uh, by that mark in terms of what they did on the glass against the Dallas Mavericks because they're a little bit smaller and especially smaller with Luka Doncic out, not out there. You know, you beat the Utah Jazz with dribble penetration and kick out to open shooters, but the Jazz were just switching everything on little Jalen Brunson, who's only six foot three, and they can stay home on shooters. So there was nothing really there for them to worry about. There's just so many things that the Mavericks are up against without Luka out there that I think it's going to be kind of hard for them. Uh, so I think they're, if I get off to a good start here, I'm going to lay a short number and uh, have those advantages play out over the course of the game. Uh, by the way, that number I was I was looking it up too. I uh, rebounded them fifty three to thirty four in game one. Uh, going back to uh, season prognostications, did you make any money off of the Lakers or the Clippers not making the playoffs? Uh, no, no, I did not. I because uh, I, I actually I had faith in the Clippers to kind of make it to the postseason and be relatively good. I had a Paul George. In fact, yeah, I had a Paul George ticket uh, to win MVP at fifty to one that I bet in November, if I remember correctly. So I had faith in the Clippers. And for the Lakers, I thought they were going to be bad, but I didn't think it was going to be this bad. And then by the time it is, the, the ship had sailed on the numbers. I waited way too long. Rudy Gobert, Mikael Bridges, oh, oh yeah. Marcus Smart, your whole push in the Defensive Player of the Year in the NBA just blew up right in your face. What happened? It did. It did. Now, do I get? I'll ask you, do I get credit? Uh, the bookmakers won't give me anything. Uh, but do I get credit for having a 301 ticket on a guy who got 11 first-place votes? <laughs> 
Yes. Yes. <laughs> Credit, whatever that is. Great job. I mean, it, it, it actually, it is. It is. But, you know, uh, you know, the key point here, and I'm not saying that sports writers and broadcasters don't know what they're doing, but I don't know that they watch defense the way they should. But, yeah, the voting was from a panel of 100 sports writers and broadcasters. Yeah, I mean, when you see that, I think Al Horford got a second place vote. Um, <laughs> like he was the third most important defender on that team. Uh, you know, I think two years ago, Andre Drummond got a player of the year vote, and the, the guy was found on Twitter with like two thousand followers, and like he rebounds, and like that was his excuse to vote for him for <laughs> defensive player of the year. Um, I like, I was just surprised. To be honest with you, I was surprised that Rudy Gobert was the finalist. Mainly because he missed a lot of time with the calf injury. Uh, the Jazz statistically are not the same defensive team. But while he still is one of the best defenders in the NBA, I think there has to be at some point a factored in team success and team success defensively. Even if you're out there, it just hasn't really been the same uh, for the Utah Jazz. And by the way, that's no fault of Rudy Gobert. He gets a completely bad rap for it. But I thought that would have at least held him out and at least had a Jackson finish in the top three, like something. But uh, yeah, it was disheartening. But whatever. Well, if this panel's made up of sports writers, and, and your guy got 11 and a half votes, I wonder if the, is the half vote mean that it came from a blogger? No. <laughs> Listen, so so let's switch our gears to the NHL. Uh, hockey favorites have been cashing in, but, man, the prices are getting big. It's almost like you have to look to the totals. Yeah, see, so I look, I'm not going to pretend to know anything about it. I know about hockey, but, like, I, I don't follow the market enough uh, to bet it or anything. I just found this very fascinating because you alluded to it, Willie. Not only are these favorites cashing at an exorbitant rate, and they had an undefeated day the other day, I think it was Saturday, um, but the, the average prices, like the average prices are well over $2 in the range yeah. of like minus 220, minus 230. It, it's crazy. And, and you you know, look, you guys cover the night side. I, I would ask you, like, it, it was a question I was asking earlier today. Is it that there is a talent gap between like these bad teams are just really bad and these teams that are good are good? Uh, or is it the fact that you're just getting a bunch of teams that have something to play for and teams that don't? I just find that fascinating because the market is clearly all over these teams, but these numbers keep coming in. And on the season, they're they're uh, well over 55%. Yeah, no, and I kept track for a minute there of – I told myself I keep track during this run from March 24th on until the under came in at a dominant rate, and it was – over the 12 days, the over had dominated in the NHL going 54, 27, and 12, which was about a 68, 67, 68% rate. And then April 4th, it went 1, 3, and 0. Oh. But the over and the favorite seemed to be the cashable ticket in the NHL this late in the season. Yeah. And uh, by the way, one of the, yeah, miss, I misspoke too. I think I said 55%, 65% as of yesterday. So crazy. Golden Knights, Hurricanes, two team parlay, minus 167. It's in. Okay. <laughs> I will talk to you midweek, John. If I don't win this bet, I'm going to be livid. I mean, I, I never told you that. It would, yeah, that's the thing, right? It, it happened before, so it's got to happen again. Isn't that your general listener reaction on VEASAN? You told me to bet it, yeah. and I lost. Well, yeah. And look, it, it's, it's funny because, you know, the NBA season, I was talking about this on my podcast the other day, which was like there was a stretch in the NBA season where – I think I went somewhere in the range of like 41% or something like that. Like it was bad. Like, and some of them were bad beats, whatever it was. Uh, but like, if you do it on a day to day basis, man, uh, if you really keep a track of it being serious, there are some times, there's some stretches where you're like, holy crap, like I'm not going to be able to pick my nose in the morning. I don't know what's going on here. It's hard. Uh, and, I, and I do hear about it. Yes. John, thank you. Talk to you later in the week.
Yep, you got it. John Von Tobel, 1 o'clock uh, every day, Monday to Friday on VSIN. Rebel Football Showcase coming up this Saturday, 5 o'clock start, going about 90 minutes. It's going to be at the Owl, at Allegiant, free on-site parking, free, uh, free tickets. There's no tickets required for entry, so no charge to attend. You're going to have access to the Modelo Lounge, sideline seating, concessions available for purchase, and your first chance to look at the 2022 Rebels. It's coming up 5 o'clock this Saturday, the Rebels Football Showcase.